This is WRAL News, your number one source for local news. Our phase one executive order runs through this Friday. But as I've said, we're continuing to monitor the data and the metrics that we've laid out for our state. We'll ease restrictions and move to phase two only if we're headed in the right direction with our data. While businesses eye Friday to lift more restrictions, the governor says not so fast. Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Deborah Morgan. And I'm Gerald Owens. In this update today, the governor said the decision on whether to implement phase two on Friday would come midweek. Data will drive that decision. These numbers will include significantly more tests. Swimming pools could have the green light to open by Memorial Day weekend. However, there are other hurdles that could keep that from happening. WRL's Amanda Lamb shows us the steps community pools are taking now to keep people safe. A lot of pools like this one in Cary are waiting to see whether or not they can open for the holiday weekend. We will be announcing what the restrictions are a little bit later on this week, and I know a lot of things are still under discussion. The Cary Park Pool announced to its members in an email that it would open this weekend, but their management company, Triangle Aquatics, says this might be a little premature. And so bottom line, if somebody says they're opening, it could happen, it may not. That's right. We want to plan for it to happen. Uh, we want, want to plan for it to happen, but it, it, it may not happen. When it does happen, there will be state guidelines. But we know that the pools will need to do things to protect folks. It will likely require um, having less people around um, than at full capacity, um, making sure that they're spacing chairs around the pool, um, wearing face coverings when not directly in the pool, and then once in the pool, having some social distancing. We're going to provide PPE to all the staff. Aquatic management operates 100 pools in the triangle. Our staff, our focus has to be the safety in the water. They're telling their clients that June 1st is a better target date as they sort out what they need to do to open safely. As far as social distancing for little children, uh, we don't see a way to manage that. Uh, parents are going to have to take responsibility the best way they can uh, to try to oversee their kids. Aquatic management tells us their first priority is making sure everyone is safe in the pool. And they say as far as outside the pool, it's going to take a team effort. Amanda Lamb, WREL News, Cary. Today, the governor, Dr. Mandy Cohen, pointed out a weekend spike in cases, the largest single-day jump we have seen in a 24-hour period. But they stressed this was in part due to increased testing. Testing availability and access is the driver for moving into phase two. Today we learned there are roughly 275 sites in North Carolina with an average of 7,500 people being tested every day. One of the areas drawing criticism is within the prison system. Coming up later in this newscast, WRL investigative reporter Tyler Dukes shows us how this information compares to other states. These are findings you will only see from our WRL data trackers. That's coming up in 15 minutes. I'm Mark Boyle in the Live Center tonight. Harnett County confirming some information about new deaths being reported over the weekend now tied to a nursing home. And the area highlighted in this yellow 
Three deaths occurred over the weekend, and they're tying that back to the Universal Healthcare Lillington. That is the nursing home and rehabilitation center we've been covering for several weeks now. Draw your attention down to this area. Countywide, 245 cases, 20 deaths across Harnett County. Also new this evening, Cumberland County just sending out some new information. Two new deaths to report and 28 new cases, bringing the total caseload there to 487. Back to you. Thank you, Mark. At least one person is dead after a crash late this afternoon in Smithfield. Our breaking news tracker was on the scene off Market Street just after 5 o'clock. We could see at least two cars involved. Smithfield police later confirmed that one person had died. We're still waiting for an update on the other two people involved. As pharmaceutical industries work to come up with a vaccine, companies like 3C Packaging and Clayton will be ready to answer the call. They make the labels and the boxes. WREL's Leslie Moreno spoke to the company's owner. She joins us now live at their Johnston County facility with how that company is preparing. Leslie? That's right, and Deborah, employees and staff here at 3C Packaging behind me have been working hard and nonstop to make sure they're ready when that vaccine is available. And from what I'm being told, that could be very soon. It's a moment that can't happen fast enough. As a matter of fact, we right now are dealing with um, some packaging designs for, uh, I can't mention the, the company, but that is very close to coming out with a a uh, vaccine slash cure. When a vaccine comes out, it'll need special packaging. It's going to need a folding card, a medical insert, or a label packaged in. Because of the pandemic, 3C Packaging has had to take extra precautions to ensure the safety of its employees as they're essential to making sure a COVID-19 vaccine is distributed as quickly as possible. When their cure hits, that we are getting the business. And, you know, it, again, it ties into being ready, prepared, and um, having the available you know, manpower and machine time ready. And we are uh, lock, stock and barrel ready. Part of being prepared means making sure there are safety measures in place to prevent the spread of COVID-19, which would essentially slow down workflow. We hired a third party to come in and continually scrub highly used areas like doorknobs and all different kinds of workstations. And uh, we've taken social distancing to ad nauseum in the plant where we've removed chairs in the break room and workstations. Employees were also given a $2.50 raise to help alleviate some stress and compensate employees for their work during the pandemic. If you're sick, please don't come to work. You know, your job will be here, but, you know, just come in healthy. If you're not, we'll wait for you. And Deborah, just this past Friday, the entire facility here behind me was shut down to be cleaned and disinfected from top to bottom. And this is not just a one-time thing. The company does this several times every few, every couple of weeks. And again, just to make sure everything is as clean as possible. Deborah, Pretty interesting to see what's happening right here in our backyard. Leslie Moreno live in Clayton. Thank you. The families of veterans are frustrated that their loved ones aren't being buried with military honors. Military leaders suspended those ceremonies because of COVID-19 and social distancing concerns. WRL's federal reporter Gilbert Bay spoke with the families of two veterans who recently died. Well, this is an emotional issue for family members with very close ties to Fort Bragg. I was just about brought to tears today after talking with two families that say that their loved ones were buried without military honors because they were snatched away by COVID-19. This is a military funeral with honors before COVID-19. 
A gun salute bids farewell. The sound of taps echoes as family members gather nearby to say a final goodbye. For the past two months, military honors for veterans have been suspended. And it's very hard, and it's also hard because of the coronavirus. Linda Wise and her family stood 100 yards away from her father, 91-year-old Sergeant First Class Benoit Trudeau. He was laid to rest today at the Sand Hills Veteran Cemetery near Fort Bragg. His friends called him Frenchy. He retired after 27 years in the Army. He served around the world in places like Japan, Vietnam, and Korea. When he was in Korea, he was blown out of a tank. That's how he received his Purple Heart. Catherine Mangum was a veteran who was buried at Sand Hills Cemetery, too. Her son says he had to fight to get someone to come fold her flag. I want every veteran to have that. I don't want to have someone else like me to go 40-something straight hours straight without no sleep, contacting every single body I could to get this to happen for my mother. It's ridiculous. It shouldn't happen. It's unclear how long the restrictions on military honors will stay in place, but we're told there will be a backlog of families waiting to get them. Trudeau's family is taking the matter into their own hands. Someone's going to play taps, and uh, we're all going to honk our horns. 21 honk salute. Now, the Sand Hills Veterans Cemetery says it has a backlog of more than 50 funerals that are waiting for burials with military honors. In Fayetteville, Gilbert Bays, WREL News. Whether it's wearing masks or issuing new orders, Durham has been at the forefront of the difficult decisions and the different steps of this process. And next at 7, I speak with the two chairs of the new task force meant to bring the Bull City back. And only on WREL testing in North Carolina prisons, the new warning from health experts and how the state compares to others. The data tracker report you will not see anywhere else. You're watching coverage you can count on with WRAL News. They are some of the most influential business leaders in the area and will help bring Durham back. Tonight, we're honored to have with us the co-chairs of the Durham Coronavirus Task Force. Joining us live, Katie Galbraith, the president of Duke Regional, Letitia Sims, vice president, corporate controller, Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina. Thanks to both of you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you. This group is made up of 15 members from faith, business, medical communities. You met for the first time last week. Katie, let's begin with you. What was the big takeaway from that first meeting? You know, I think the, a couple of big takeaways. First of all, um, this is an incredible group of leaders uh, who are really dedicated to Durham and really committed to working with a sense of purpose and a sense of urgency, knowing that our community is has taken a, a significant toll from from COVID-19 and from the, the changes that have had to be made um, because of it. Uh, and, and, and knowing that uh, certainly we are all committed to working together on renewal and recovery. So that's that's a key takeaway. And then just a lot of key action steps coming out of the first meeting. Uh, everyone really ready to get to work. Yeah, and I get that. It had to be emotionally draining, Matisha, as well, to be with a group like this in the first meeting. Everybody wants together, wants to work together. What's the next step? In terms of next steps, we really focused on identifying some key action items. And just a few of those items included, we want to identify capacities needed over the summer and into the fall 
in the areas of testing, contact tracing, and personal protective equipment. We want to develop plans to secure enough face coverings and any other personal protective equipment deemed necessary for our public health experts for all businesses and residents. We want to make sure that we are paying attention to the vulnerable populations to, to identify specific recommendations for this population. So those are three of the areas that we focused on. But as Katie mentioned, we came out of the meeting with a long list of action items. And I was very thrilled to see 15 people coming together, ready to go to work. You know, the thing that jumped out at me in your answer was talking about projecting into the fall. We all want this to find its way to some sort of end and normalcy so quickly. Today, the governor and Secretary Cohen said they were hopeful for phase two on Friday. Mayor Shule has not been as quick to push out into the forefront for Durham as maybe some of the other leaders have been. In fact, he has said not so fast. So to both of you, Matisha, we'll start with you. Do you agree with the governor's approach or the mayor's approach? just say we have to move forward in a very safe manner. And so as I think about moving forward safely, I, I view that as we're going to follow the guidance of our public health experts, our business, and our community leaders. And based on my role as being a community leader in Durham, I really want to focus on keeping Durham safe. And so I'm not going to say I think the governor is right or the mayor is right. My, my uh, commitment to this task force is moving forward in a fashion that just keeps my community Durham safe. You know, and, and Katie, I heard Mayor Shule say uh, on the state of things on WUNC radio last week, he's not perfect at this. He has made some mistakes. You just have to keep trying. How do you move forward going either with what the mayor wants or the governor wants or maybe in concert and try to be as mistake free as you can? Well, you know, I think that's a, a really good question. And I think that is why um, the mayor and Commissioner Jacobs have have organized and established this task force. It's so that they can get guidance and advice to help them make these really difficult decisions. Um, but, I, you know, I'd go back to what Matisha said. Every decision needs to be made with the safety of our community in mind and and certainly the safety of the state in mind as the governor is making those decisions. So uh, there there are no perfect answers in this. Right. Uh, these are really difficult, difficult times and difficult decisions. We'll all keep moving forward together. Katie Galbraith, President of Duke Regional, Matisha Sims, Vice President and Corporate Controller, Blue Cross, Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina. Co-chairs of that task force, thank you for your leadership and your time. Despite large outbreaks of COVID-19 at several prisons in North Carolina, state officials have announced no plans to conduct widespread testing among inmates at these facilities. Health experts say that'll mean faster spread and more death. Reporters from six newsrooms across the state, including WRL's data trackers, work together to dig deeper into how officials are handling the spread in prison and how we compare to other states. WRL investigative reporter Tyler Dukes joins us now to talk about the team's findings. Tyler, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Tyler, with many of these institutions at or near capacity already, what steps are state officials taking to keep prison populations and staff safe? 
Right. So prison officials actually released uh, hundreds of pages of documents in early May detailing what they're doing in prisons to stop the spread of COVID-19. So that's providing masks, producing sanitizer, even telling inmates to sleep head to toe in order to encourage that social distancing. Now, these are all guidelines from the CDC and the state says it is following them. Another thing worth noting here is that today the uh, prison system has actually said that they are uh, allowing voluntary testing, offering voluntary testing to all prison staff, not inmates. Mm. What are health experts saying about these measures? Well, what's notable here in these documents in response to this lawsuit by the ACLU is sort of what's not there, what the state isn't doing. We actually talked to several health experts about this. Here's what one doctor had to say about that. I think the necessary steps to limit the spread of disease include um, depopulation and test, test, test. So without these steps, testing and depopulation, essentially letting folks out early, this virus has a much higher chance of spreading rapidly through the population, at least according to these experts. So what's the bottom line? Is the state doing enough? Quite frankly, the consensus from experts that we talk to seem to be no. I mean, we're falling behind other states like Tennessee, Texas, and Michigan in mass testing. And in terms of early release, we haven't seen efforts here like those in Kentucky or Connecticut to reduce prison and jail populations. It's worth remembering here this virus has already claimed five lives within the state's prison system. And inmates the collaborative actually talked with are pretty scared and worried about this. All right, Tyler, thank you very much. You can find the full story from The Collaborative on WRAL.com. Be sure to join us tonight at 10 on Fox 50 and at 11 on WRAL. From family gatherings to touching your mail, we're ranking the most risky activities during this pandemic.